Hello and welcome to another episode of Joe Blogs About Films. Thanking you as always for clicking on the podcast. I say that regularly, but I genuinely do mean it. So thank you as always for your constant support. I hope everyone as well is doing okay with the heat over here in the UK and across Europe. It's very warm. Um, it's been the first time I managed to sit down and watch something in um, in my attic room, obviously the, the film room kind of thing, because it's just been so hot up there. Um, and of course, obviously, I've not really ventured too much to the cinema this week. I haven't been really since... Since last time I went, whenever that was, I say probably to watch Thor Love and uh, Thor Love and Thunder. So I need to change that. There's a few things coming out that I'm looking forward to, um, but with the heat and such, like I say, I've not. I'd, in fairness, I think the cinema would be the best place to go because the air can't be whacked on, and yeah, get to watch a film for a couple of hours and avoid the actual uh, heat itself. But not to be this time round. But I am hoping, as I say, to get and check out some uh, some new releases over the next few weeks. What I thought I'd do this time round though is because I've recently finished The Boys uh, season three. Obviously watched that since it dropped uh, a few years back, obviously season one and two and, and three, which has been amazing. I really wanted more of a Carl Urban fix. Uh, Carl Urban is an amazing actor. I very much enjoy him, obviously, in Lord of the Rings and the many, even even in obviously Star Trek films as well, even though they're very like hit and miss. Um, but for me, I think my favourite role that I've seen Urban lead in, other than you know butchering the boys, has got to be Judge Dredd. Dread from 2012, which was a... Uh, I, I personally think it's a very underrated and underappreciated film. Um, there is a massive cult following. I'm not trying to say that there's no following whatsoever this film because the film, though, didn't do as well as they expected or predicted it to be at the box office. Um, there's still a huge cult following for this film. There's fans there that, like myself, have wanted another sequel. I wanted a sequel, sorry, not another, just a sequel in any form. There was talks of potentially TV series and stuff like that. And Urban himself has gone on record to say that he would love to don that helmet again to play this character because he nails it in this role. Like, I love his performance. I love this film, really, overall. It's a film that when I saw it at the cinema, I came out and I was a little bit like, yeah, it's all right. I thought it was. It could have been Could have been better. Could've, it was definitely not the worst film I've ever seen. But once I got it on home release and I, and I picked it up like I would for my collection, I, I just... Watched this so much that I um I'm a big fan of it. I think it's a very good film, very you know gritty as well when it wants to be. It doesn't hold back on the violence or in terms of the necessary gore, should we say, that's presented on screen. The kills, base is what I'm getting at. But um, I think it's a great film. So I thought let's do a revisit of it uh, for this podcast this week. This week's episode on the podcast since I've uh, not been to see anything new. I will potentially try and get something about the boys on because I think that show is amazing as well. Um, and that's going to, I think after doing the Strange Things podcast, if you listen to that as well, I really do appreciate it because it is an extended one, a very, very much so extended one. Um, that's kind of what's, I might split it up with the boys maybe. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll come to that. But here we're talking about Dread from 2012. Very good, uh, very good film indeed. And I'm looking forward to kind of going over this, a few background details, bits that I enjoyed, as I do with any revisit on this podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. And again, if you love this film as well, or if you enjoy it, or any, not even if you love it, if you don't like this film, get in touch either way. I'd love to know your thoughts on this because, well, I think it's great. Before we do dive into it, the podcast is, of course, available on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can also check out on rss.com. Um, also jump onto Facebook, sorry, and give us a like on there. Search Joe Blogs About Films. That would be appreciated to give the page a like. Hit those five-star reviews on Spotify as well. I would love you to. I'd love that, obviously. But also hit the notification button um, for the Spotify uh, for the Spotify podcast playlist, whatever. Um, you'll be notified, basically, when episodes are uploaded. Losing my words there, it seems. So let's just stop all of that plug-in for socials. 
and let's dive straight into it. Because it's weird with Dread, because I, I, I was like, I was obviously before doing the podcast, I was doing some research into it, and I didn't realise quite a lot of the, um, I don't think there was a massive amount of uh, issues in the in the making of the process, you know, the, the, the background of this film, there was um, behind the scenes issues. Originally, Pete Travis was set to direct this film. However, due to creative differences and disagreements between producers and executives, Alex Garland, who was at the time a screenwriter, stepped in and took over like the editing process. There was like, it depends who you go to about this, but it seems that there was a few different, different I don't know, like rumours or, or, or even stories about what had happened when it got to the editing process. But either way, Peter, uh, Pete Travis, sorry, obviously stepped away from the project. And because Alex Garland had stepped up and so much of this effort that he'd done in was deemed significant enough for him to be accredited as a co-director. He was then given the actual tag itself as director. Um, I think it is still down, though, as a co-director, or at least director Pete Travis, which is which is interesting because I know that Carl Urban stated in an interview promoting the film that Alex Garland directed the film, that Pete Travis had no effort and made no effort, sorry, to promote this film. So... It's weird because on IMDb, this is down as Pete Travis, but essentially everywhere everywhere else is telling me that Alex Garland is the director, so make of that what you will. Kind of maybe sums up the whole background and behind-the-scenes nonsense that was kicking off with this film, which is strange because, like I say, you wouldn't have necessarily thought it because the film is so grounded. It's such a very nice, straightforward story. Uh, you can almost compare it as well to The Raid if you've not seen that, which is a great film as well. But essentially, the film is set in a violent, futuristic city where the police have the authority to act as judge, jury, and executioner. A cop teams up with a trainee, cop being Dread, uh, Dread, and trainee being Anderson, to take down a gang that deals the reality-altering drug slow-mo. Uh, I'm looking forward as well to talk about that touch with slow-mo because I think it's an ingenious, ingenious idea and creation uh, for this because it, it, it brings another another layer to the film, another visual pleasure. You know what I mean? Like The, the way that they shoot it, obviously it's slow-mo, so things are going to do in slow motion. That's, um, that's a great little touch as well, which I will come to... A little bit later, obviously, as we go over this podcast, but it's funny this as well, because I don't know if people have seen the Sylv- Sylvester Sloan. well, I'm assuming if you listen to Dread and you've seen all the Dread, read the comics this and the other, you will have seen the 1995 Judge Dread film, which is like one of those films that I watched in the build-up to Dread coming out, because I'm not going to lie, like, I didn't know too much about Dread itself. I love, obviously, comics itself, but I'd never read any of the Judge Dread comics or anything like that. But then as as you hear and see these murmurs of a new film coming out, you're like, okay, let's do some... Uh, this is what I do anyways. Let's do a bit of research, a bit of background. Let's read up on certain things. But the Judge Dread film from 95 was just... Um, well, it wasn't great. It was pretty bad. Um, it's annoying because in the first, like, 15 minutes, he takes his helmet off, and it's almost like the studio straight away are like, look who it is, it's Sylvester Stallone playing this. Ah. It's not who Judge Dredd is. He never takes his helmet off. And that's something that I love about this, to say, in particular with Carl Urban, is that he doesn't at all take the helmet off in this film. He is really good in this role. And as I say, I've made a ton of notes, as you can imagine, about his portrayal as Dredd. I just think it, it, it saves it all, really, that you know he pulls off this amazing performance just with the use of his like mouth, obviously, because most of his face is pretty much covered up you know like I say it's, it's the hell that is that is dreads that is dread to a t you know what i mean like never take the helmet off it's all line delivery and, and acting with that bottom half of his mouth that chiseled jaw that he has is amazing and absolute perfect but it's interesting to know that urban found the role quite challenging because of the character never removing the helmet and like requiring him to convey an emotion without using any eyes was as to be expected it's like it's almost like the thing that tom hardy can do so well because it's like flipped reverse of what tom hardy can do because he 
acts a lot and and has acted quite a lot with just the use of his eyes. Whereas in this, it's like complete flip, and it is all about that you know chiselled jaw almost. Um, Urban goes on to state that he viewed the character as an average man with an insanely tough job in a fragmenting society, and likened Dredd's heroism to that of a fireman. And I think that's a great analogy, really, because one of the, some of the notes I was making was that he is just like process, process, process. Like he is you know, very good at what he does, but, like, it's the job that he's there for, if you know what I mean. Like, all the way through, it's like, he does. He just doesn't see beauty in the mess, like, or, or you know, anything good necessarily in anyone. Um, it's not that he doesn't trust, well, he obviously clearly doesn't trust, he just, he just got, he, there's that much wrong with society at this point in this future that it's like, everyone's out there to hurt everyone else. And then it's funny that he finds it admirable when he meets Anderson, who's saying that she wants to make a difference, that's why she wants to be a judge, when to him it's a bit like, all you can do is what you can do. And, it, you know, that making a difference is pretty much impossible because there is too much crime. Um, producer Alan uh, Reach, I believe his surname is pronounced, sorry, described Dread as an extreme character and administers justice with the extreme lack of prejudice. So it's there's so many layers to Dread's character. Even though we don't see the actual fit in all of his face, there's so much that you can learn from him just by watching his actions and how he is delivering those lines and such. But I think Urban... Is absolutely dead on for this role. And this is, like I say, one of my favourite roles, if not the favourite role of The Lord of the Rings that I've seen him in, you know what I mean? So I think, and, and the boys, but still, I love this feature film and having him as the um, as Dread. Never taking the helm off, I say, massive green tick as well for me because, like I say, it was just so bad that they did that so early on in the Stallone film in the 95 version of this. And the films, are both the, the, the Stallone one from 95 and this one from 2012, both hit 96 minutes. How about that for a little bit of a weird trivia? But as that has been said, this film is a much better 96 minutes than that one. Um, I also love the fact that the entirety of this film takes place in just one day. One day, that's it. To say that, that, that's, this is what I mean about the story itself. It's literally like so grounded. It's such a simple story, but so effective as well because it's there's so much action in this. Like the action is 10 out of 10 of this film, and like I, they say, the, the violence isn't overkill or anything. It is just perfect for what they were going for with this and that mature that mature level. Um, I didn't realise as well that it, in Italy there was like a seven-year delay with this. I'm just throwing out trivia facts at the moment, but yeah, it went straight to DVD and Blu-ray after like seven years of it coming out. So I have no idea what was going on there. So before I do jump into it, as I say, there were, there were plans, of course, for a trilogy of Dread films, which would have been wonderful, would have been great, because in this one, as I say, we're focusing solely in Peachtrees, the tower within Mega City 1, and how they're manufacturing and distributing the drug slow-mo. It would have been great to see more of Mega City 1, maybe even, like I say, a, a TV show spin-off or something like that. I, I just want more Dread. I wanted more Carl Urban as Dread, and it feels like we're so far past now, because like it is now 10 years old, this film, which I'm actually like... Where the, where's that gone? Like you know what I mean. But from what I understand, um, one of the other ideas that Garland had was to take Dread out of Mega City One, uh, quoting outside is the desert terrain, the cursed earth, which is again another plot from the story uh, from the comic stories. Um, fans could have and should have seen Judge Death within that. Another very popular villain, obviously within the comics. But basically, the box office ruined it. Um, even though this film does have, like I say, a, a, cult, a cult following, I don't think it did anywhere near. Well, it's a strange one because I read that the budget was thirty million to forty-five million, and at the box office, it made forty-one point five mil. So I'm a little bit like, what was wrong then? Uh, I don't know why they would. They just was like, yeah, that's that's not going to happen now. I think that from from what I from what I read as well is that I think one of the main issues with this film is that when it released in UK cinemas in particular, 98% of the cinemas only had it in 3D format. Um, 
Whereas usually when a 3D film comes out, there are more 2D options. And so it was, they were trying to push 3D format and increase its profitability. But because of that lack of choice, people were just not interested in watching it because they were like, I'm not going to go see, I, I want to watch it in 2D. I don't want to watch it in 3D. So I, I know that, like I said there, there was it was definitely more so 3D than 2D. I think it was actually, the film was called Dread 3D. Um as opposed to just dread. But yeah, like they didn't put enough 2D showings out from what I understand. So that's one of the other reasons apparently that affected the film. So thanks again, 3D. Like it was great when Avatar came out all those many moons ago, but it definitely overstayed its welcome. And to be honest with you, if it's not in IMAX 3D, then I would say that it's not worth literally the yeah, not worth watching it at all. Um so I've already touched upon obviously the slow-mo drug, which is basically I say a, a, a drug that is within peach trees and people are hopelessly addicted to this drug. Like it's we we get from the get go of this film, we understand that this is going to be a, a prominent feature of the film. Like within the first ten minutes, Dread is in like a high speed chase with a group of gangs that are doing slow mo. Um, according to the film, it makes anyone who takes it experience time at one percent of its usual speed, making the initial high it causes feel like it lasts for days. However, a side effect of this is that if any pain is given to the user, they feel it like it's lasting for an eternity. So I like that flip of it because we do get to see some fantastic, fantastic um, visuals using this slow-mo drug, you know, well, not me using it, but, <laughs> but obviously it's, there's a lot of POV in this film, which I think is it really, really adds more to the film. Just like I say, this, you just get a shot of the inhaler going in and then everything's lovely and sparkly. The slow motion sound, actually, which is something, again, that I only found out re when I was doing the research for it, which has blown my mind more than anything else that I could find about this film, is that the sound effect that is being used is based on a Justin Bieber song that was slowed down to such a, a really, as you can imagine, very slow speeds and then whilst editing all of these slow motion scenes Jeff Barrow who is a massive Dread Supervan he was given a, a view and early cut of the film and with the slow motion scenes he just said that he, he knew what would make you know how to impact that scene and make the ultra violence really pop and that was Justin Bieber's track You Smile or something like that that was 800 times slower that's the exact figure sorry 800 times slower than usual to showcase what he meant. And when the editors set the films to the action scenes, they were like, okay, this has to be used for every slow motion scene now. So there you have it, the slow motion, slow-mo scenes that involve users taking it. And when you hear this kind of like, it's basically Justin Bieber at 800 times slower. I don't even, I don't even know that song. I've never even listened to that song, You Smile. Maybe I have, maybe I just not ring the bell whatsoever. But I love that fact. It completely blew my mind, as I say. Um, the slow-mo drug, you know, it is, is a very, very, um, yeah, nice addition to, I say nice, it's just another drug, really. But it's one of those that, yeah, it looks great on camera. And I like that, as I say, that it's dread tackling down peach trees and, of course, Mama and the Mama clan um, and just trying to stop them from, obviously, the, the distribution of this, uh, which I will come to. In fairness, while we're at it, I may as well just go over it over it now because as I say I really really do enjoy a lot of the slow-mo aspects of this film um the POV shot when they're gonna say the rogue the, when they're giving the rogue dealers the slow-mo and then throwing them off the top of the tower is really great like it's terrifying but it's great because as I say we just get these people that hold towards the end edge of obviously the top of the tower like 50 feet or whatever slow-mo goes in then it's all POV for most of it as they fall down and this is the thing for me is this film 
because of slow-mo and, and because of what they do with it, especially, like I said, with the action set pieces, this, this, that, and the other, it was one of the very few films I've seen in 3D at the cinema that I really did enjoy the benefit of, because half of the time I just think that 3D is a little bit of a gimmick, but still, I did really enjoy what they did with the 3D aspect of the slow-mo and within this film. The action flickering normal to then slow speed as well, back and forth, obviously depending who we are focusing on at that moment, really is effective as well. The sequence when this guy gets his like cheeks just like blown clean out by dread, it's just great. Like I say, it's, it's one of those where, like I stated, it'll be they'll be having a slow mo time. It's really interesting, really intriguing to see how their like mind is currently working. Then dread just bursts in with the gun and just starts popping them, <laughs> and they just blood. It's just a bloodbath everywhere. Everyone's trying to act as normal but obviously everything feels 10 times slower but you can only imagine what that pain would feel if it feels like an eternity it must be absolutely just yes yeah, well painful to be uh, to be exact obviously um the visuals and color pattern for the slow-mo are really really great like it's very bright very sparkly very vibrant almost like does feel very comic book busk book-esque as well the sequences were designed over several years. You do feel that as well. They must have spent a lot of time because there's so much layering to it. And so, like I said, the glitters and the sparkles that are in there, and obviously, because some of this will have had to be CGI as well, obviously, with things floating or if they're if they're filming it and you know having to slow the speed right down or whatever. But there are definitely added effects in there. Well, obviously, they're not going to blow someone's face clean off, are they? Because um, they what they wanted to do is with this development, they wanted they had the intention of replicating the effects of hallucinogenic drugs, combining high speed photography and color saturation. And that's really why it stands out so much because I do think it is really, really great the use of that, um, the slow-mo and such, and just how people are like kind of very much addicted to it. Like we're talking like just like kids and stuff that are trying it out and, and sometimes getting caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. But this is just one of the things, obviously one of the, you know, the crime sections that or sectors, I should say, that dread has to deal with, you know what I mean? Because, like, he says at the start that America is an irradiating wasteland, and I love this opening shot of the future America. It's just a wide shot. We're setting, obviously, 2080. It's, like, far enough away into the future that it still feels, like, believable. Like, not too silly is what I'm getting at, because it's not like everything's high-tech, this, that, and the other. It just feels like that there's a lot of ruin, a lot of crime, as, as, as he states and such, and, like, it is just almost like barren and, and people just trying to get by and stuff like that. I don't know, like it just feels really desolate in a way. Um, and I just like to say this very, very great wide shot at the beginning. Then we get some great overhead shots as well. We get to look over. Um, yeah, like Mega City 1, it's building up the world really well, showcasing that with news footage or judge cam, you know, everything. All this is happening whilst Urban's Dread is getting ready within the Hall of Justice. And I think it's just an amazing opening montage. You've got this build-up per se, because the score as well throughout this film is something that I really do enjoy, because it's very electronic, very synthy, and at times it just creates that right level of atmosphere and intensity. But it's just a very, very good opening montage, I say, as well, to highlight the scale of Mega City 1 as well, uh, the micro-city-state, to, uh, to quote. Um, the like the towers that they would make were gradually positioned farther, to, like, farther apart to emphasise their size, because... You'll see, obviously, when you watch it, there's so many, like, big skyscrapers inside the other, just basically another, like, peach trees and such. You know, it allows more detail of the city to emerge in between them as well, because this is what I mean. It's like we're set in the future, but it doesn't feel too far-fetched at the same time. It is just, like, pretty much, yeah, believable is is the word that I will uh, I will go for there as well. Um, but, yeah, the opening takedowns with Dread, obviously, on the back of the high speed, just, again just showing how much of a badass he is. And I, I also read up that Carl Urban was like, adamant that he was going to ride the motorcycle for this sequence, for this this high-speed chase. Really, really excellent opening bit. And like I say, we get little nods here and there to like elements of the comics, but 
it just straight up just sets you up for this this dread, this, this character. We learn so much about him just from that voice. Because the thing is, that's the only thing that we're really going to see of his face, you know, is his lips and, and hearing that voice. Um, and it's comparable to Clint Eastwood's um, stern face as well throughout, like his chiseled jaw. Like the, the amount of times I, I personally love to like mimic it or just like put, cover my face up with something and just do this like ridiculous chiseled jaw is something that I will never tire of because that's down to Urban's performance. I know that in the, I know that the character of Judge Red is in fact heavily or, or at least partly based on Eastwood's character from Dirty Harry, obviously. Um, and in the comics is a tribute to Eastwood's strong influence on the character Dread lives in Rowdy Yates Block, which was the name of the character Eastwood played in the TV series Rawhide. So again, a nice sprinkle of trivia there for you. Obviously, with this, obviously, because you've got this, this you've got Dread's character, which we're already learning a bit about him as it is. You know, he's, he's like I say, he's, he's like a manager that you don't want to get at work. You know, when you're at work, you get moved into teams. You don't want to be with this kind of guy because he is just process, process, process. But like I said, he is really great at what he does. I've already mentioned, like I said before, about how like. It just feels like he just he, he he just doesn't see things the same as everyone else. Like it, to him, he is judge during execution. He's got a job to do. There's there's too much to kind of I don't know like not care about, but like because he, he does care about convicting criminals and that and the other. But it's almost like his way is just it's just straight that that's it. I'm here. I'm a judge. I've got my job to do. That is it. There is there's there's. I'll try and make a difference as much as like I say as Anderson states, but there's only so much that I can do. But he's good at what he does. Though this is what I think. But I think by throwing in the character of Anderson as well was a real great mix. Anderson, obviously, aka the rookie, played by Olivia Thirlby, was a really good balance for the film because it's almost like someone who is entering this world. And it's like a vessel for the audience to follow their story and obviously learn what Dread is like through this rookie. Um, I love that he calls a rookie as well throughout. I think he only mentions and calls her Anderson three times in the film. And it's like there's hesitation from like Dread to actually take her because if you find out that she's a mutant as well, she's got uh, telekinetic powers and such. But like it's almost he's expecting her to fail that she doesn't. That there's no way that this person is going to be able to achieve. And become a judge herself. I don't. I, that's the that's the vibe I got. Anyways, like it's you know she is just a rookie. They'll make mistakes. They're not as good. You know they've still got lots to learn, kind of thing. However, she does kick some serious ass by the end of this film, and it's and it's weird because I think it's that humanity that's within Anderson brings Dread down a little bit, like makes him a little bit more softer by the end. Because her first kill in the film is a real test for her. That could really make or break. Because you know she they've 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 barged into a room, obviously, or at least stopped. Um, you know, part of the Mama clan from killing them, obviously. And there's one guy that's left on the floor who's looking obviously a little bit sheepish. He's the thing he's got a gunpoint. This is it, you know, his number's up. And there's a little bit of hesitation from her, but Dredd straight away, again, following protocols, like, no, that needs to happen. You, you, they've tried to kill and shoot a judge. They're, they need putting down. So she does so, but it's like, once she makes that first kill, it's almost like nothing then can stop her. There is, again, a little bit of, like, her or, or dilemma predicament with that because then she ends up taking refuge in this guy's wife's place um, and it's almost like a little bit of a trigger for her and it's it's one of those where you can see the impact in her face straight away whereas Dread holds no emotion for this and stares her out like the camera will cut and it focuses on, on Anderson then it cuts over, like follows and, and focuses then on Dread who is just again chiseled jaw staring straight at her. I don't think in any way that he's like judging her for having those feelings after the kill. I think he understands what she is thinking there. And that's the bit when I'm a little bit like, maybe he is kind of understanding, you know, what it's like for her being this character who 
is new to this, obviously. She is new to this this role, obviously, in terms of being a judge, or at least trying to be a judge. That first kill, I'm sure I'm sure Dredd would have had the same kind of feelings when he first um yeah, when he first killed someone. Potentially, anyways, he is a bit of a badass, let's be honest. Um, but I do like I said, I've spoke about the mutant powers that Anderson has. I think it's great that she can see she can look into people's thoughts as well as see past events that they've encountered. She uses that a lot when they get one of the gang members hostage and she can see that he was one part of the clan that skinned a bunch of people and threw them off the building, this, that, and the other. But she can also instill thoughts into their minds as well. Like, for example, although like she she lets them potentially mess around inside their own head and there's a few scenes with that, she can, like I say, put some thoughts into their head as well. For example, she puts in to this guy's head that he'll use the gun against her um, and, and kill her, which when he does go to do that, it's only got a grisly outcome for her and a very bloody outcome because their guns are DNA encrypted. So when he goes to pull that trigger, boof, off goes his arm kind of thing. It's really great. I think that she is a really, really great addition to the uh, to the actual to the story. Um, there is, a say, that, that level of responsibility that, that, that Dredd has now for Anderson because given that she is the rookie. But then, you know, over the course of the film, she's more capable than Dredd is given her credit for. You know, she's taken up, but she is, like, at one point taken up to Mama. You know, that desire, though, for Dredd, obviously, an intensity to take Mama out is only heightened at that point. But, you know, Anderson does and is capable of, of looking after herself kind of thing. They've both got their jobs to do. It's not a case of, like, a damsel in distress or anything like that, which you can probably see in many films that have done that before. In those kind of situations, it's up to them, the, the our hero, to go save her. There's none of that, because, as I've just stated there, she's a mutant. She can do this and that and the other with her powers. And that's how she obviously gets out of it and moves from there. She is, again, as I say, a lot more capable than probably what the Dread actually uh, gives her for. And there's this characteristic that Dread does with her all the way through this film that I love, where he keeps asking if she's ready. I think, again, it's three times that he asks her if she's ready. He asks her at the start, are you ready? And each time it's got like a different last line. Like she'll say yes or whatever, and he'll say, your assessment starts now. Then there's a little bit later after he's asked her if she's ready, he says, you don't look ready. And then finally you've got, you look ready towards the end of the film, highlighting again that growth in Anderson's character and belief that Dredd's got in her. Because by the end, he's like, she's going to be a judge. You know what I mean? Giving her a pass as well for her assessment at the end of the film, despite what should be failing because she lost her, her primary weapon, that doesn't matter because she's made some excellent decisions and she is a, you know she's capable of handling this job, you know what I mean? Speaking of obviously quotes there, there is a ton of great lines in this film, so many that I absolutely adore and so many when I was re-watching it, like, I was like, oh, I forgot about that bad boy, you know, you've got like, negotiations are over, I heard you had shot, <laughs> like, it's all a deep end, there's so many, so many, and uh, I think one of the best ones is when he's talking to Mama on the uh, PA system, he's like, and as for you, Mama, judgment time, <laughs> like, this is what I mean, Urban, the, the, all, everything, everything that he does in this, in this role is, is amazing, it's so much fun, uh, speaking of Mama, obviously, Mama is played by Lorna Headey, obviously famously known as Cersei in Game of Thrones, she actually filmed this in between filming the seasons of Game of Thrones as well, which is, uh, yeah, testament to her hard work and amazing acting as well, because I thought that she's a very good villain in this, very good. Um, she runs Peachtree's Towers, basically. she I think she was a former prostitute, now gang leader. She is the one that's manufacturing and selling the drug slow across all of Mega City 1. And that's why Mama's like so hell-bent on killing the two judges that have come into Peachtree. You know, she locks it down, and then it's a case of them just getting up to the top to try and take her out. She is a sadistic, twisted, and terrifying villain in the film. And is like pretty much an army 
that will do anything, you know, that, that, that she says. It's like, you know, she is pretty much her own law within here. Not the law on Dredge's eyes, but that's uh, that's a different story. But I do feel that her performance, Hedy's performance, is excellent. She goes on to say that she thinks of the character as like an old great white shark who is just waiting for someone bigger and stronger to show up and kill her. She's ready for it. In fact, she can't wait for it to happen. She's an addict, so she's dead in that way. But that last knock just hasn't come. Yeah, you can you can tell. Like I said, she's not fearful of anyone, even after like everything she's pumping at Dread, taking him out. Like the the extent that she goes to is ridiculous in this film to take to take him out. Like we're talking, she takes out a complete floor at one point. There's like residents and casualties all over the place. Like it doesn't matter how many innocent lives are taken, as long as it will kill off these judges, it doesn't matter. Like and the the the, the actual editing and 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 shots uh, in that sequence are great because we get we keep getting cuts from like the innocent people being mowed down as he's as the firing is continuing whilst cutting to Mama's intense face as she's just not moving that line of focus. She is like this this guy needs to go. Like this guy this this judge has to go out. And it's that thing again of like dread is always one step ahead of this. Like I just I love it that after all of this happens, the bullets end, there's a huge cloud of smoke, debris everywhere, bodies on the floor, and you just see dread just come out of the of the of the smoke and just throw her like I don't know if it's a wingman, but he's definitely part of her like clan anyway. He just throws her throws him off the uh off the uh, off the edge of the uh, balcony or whatever to to his death and then just doesn't even like acknowledge it, just walks back and you just see the silhouette at the back of Dread walking away. It's shots like that that I'm like, God, this film is great. Um, it's, it's, it's very effective. And I do feel that, like I said, Mama is just one of those characters that you don't get many like villains that make you feel a little bit grim in a way. Like, I don't know, like she's got this scar on her face, like she's been through a lot, you know, that she's just a gnarly, as I say, very sadistic and very, very... Um, yeah, horrible character, but you know that's the thing. This is this is why we love those characters to hate. Great performance, don't get it wrong from Hedy. Like I think she's really, really. She doesn't even have to like go to eleven. Like I've said before, within films where villains can go really over the top, and you're a bit like, oh, this is silly. She's just really a, a good, a good balance. Like she can, she does all she has to do is kind of like strokes, like have someone like uh, holding someone's head almost, and like could be just stroking them and having like a knife against the toe. It's just like all these slow little things. Nothing over the top or anything. You know what I mean? She just it just it invokes fear. You know what I mean? It invokes fear. Um, there's there's so much to say with the cinematography in this that I really love in shots and such. Because I said the action is ten out of ten. The slow mo is really really effective. But one of my like favorite shots in this is just one where Dreads incinerated a bunch of people on one of the um on one of the floors by the Mama Clan, obviously. And like there's a close up of his helmet, and obviously he's stood there looking all chiseled, this that and the other. But there's just flames flickering against his helmet. And I think it was like really 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 effective in the plot only escalates to with this film like overall as i've stated a couple of times already it's grounded and gritty with endless twists and turns and, and just showcasing how bad mega city one is and how bad peach trees is but like there's also the take of these judges that come into it. obviously they've been called in by mama she's saying i'll ring we'll ring the police they turn up and she essentially pays them off to take dread out it is a nice twist it's a little bit predictable on when they do arrive you're like this isn't going to go the way that you expect it to go. And it doesn't, obviously, because these guys do end up working for Mama and they want to take Dread out for about a million credits or something daft like that. Um, but it's only another barrier for Dread to overcome. For Dread and Anderson to overcome, that is, anyways. Um, there's great use as well. Like, when you've got all these judges in there within this within this block of flats or whatever, they've all got their own weapon lawgiver. I'm assuming they're all called lawgivers. I know Dreads is called lawgiver, but that gun has got some excellent features, and he's rapidly going through them at one point against these judges, as you, if you've seen. 
And I was just sat there waiting for the next option he was going to say, like, you know, just to see if it blow my socks off. Like, these different features that would be, like, just calling out and it would do something great with the gun. Um, but, yeah, there's uh, there's some amazing, amazing stuff within this film that I really, really, really did, really did enjoy. And one of the nice little features as well that I thought was great was that when Mama does actually, you know, get a demise at the end... Um, you know, Dredd obviously throws her from the balcony, gives her a bit of slow-mo as well, which I, which I think was a, a nice little touch, because again, we get more POV of, of that whole fall, and it looks wonderful, and the sound, like I said, the, the Bieber track was playing, it's all like really nice and heavenly in a weird way, like she's just falling down, and it's quite a graceful fall for such a horrible, for such a horrible character, but when we do get that kind of like the camera becomes the floor, which I think is a great uh, a great approach as well, because you're thinking, what are they going to show here? Because you see her from like a wide shot getting closer and closer to the floor, and you're thinking, are we going to just see this explosion in slow mo? Oh yes, we do, but only from the point of view as you are the floor as her face hits it. But the blood splatter itself, when it hits the uh, actual POV shot of the camera, it forms an X, the same X of Dread's helmet. What? A little bit of attention to detail there, eh? What an attention to detail. And this is it. It's, like, so, so good. And, and I mentioned about these great line deliveries in the film. Um, what I, I dig so much is that after he's done all of this, like, when Dred's like, calling a bluff and he gets up to the top and he's, like, how you know, she's got a device strapped to her wrist and she says, if I die, the top 50 floors or whatever it is will just explode or go boom or whatever. Um, but because of the range of, like, well, Dred's like, let's see, after he shoots it, let's see, like, how much that range has got. If, you, if you're so far down at the bottom, is it actually going to set anything off at the top, any detonators at the top? So obviously he does all of that, and then once nothing happens, it just cuts back to Jadredge going, yeah, and then he just walks away. It's such a great delivery. It's really great. And I thought, just as a final touch, that it was really lovely at the end of the film, after obviously Anderson's given her a pass, that we get the same monologue from Dredd at the start of the film. You know, like talking about the only thing fighting for order in, in amongst the chaos of the judges, which is what he says right at the start of the film. And I thought that was a really, really great touch. I thought it was nice to kind of come back around full circle. The sad thing is about Dredd, like the only ter terrible thing about this is that we don't get any more stories for from it or anything like that because... It would have been wonderful to see at least Anderson and, and Dredd, you know, back together again. Because like I say, at the start, they're just thrown together. You know, like I, we spoke about it before on this podcast about Buddy Cop Fields, where you've got two characters that, you know, get thrown in a situation together. This is that on like a great scale, like an amazing scale as well. Like talking the story, like it, it's like I said, it's simple, but it's so effective. I would love to have seen more what they would have done with it, whether it was a TV series or whether it was another sequel. Um, either way, it would have been amazing to see Dread, but I like it that you know that there's that relationship that does keep growing between these two characters over the course of the film, and the performances. Like it's one of them again where I'm really like, there's no one that's necessarily bad in it. Even like all these gang members and stuff. That there's so many extras and so many small minor parts that there's some that you'd be like, well, he's just a bit useless. Like, well, you know what I mean, or whatever. But I don't think there's any of that. I just really do enjoy this film, and although I've gone over the entirety of the film and into spoiler depths and such. Um, if you haven't seen it, do check it out. Um, it's definitely on. Uh, it's, it's it's one of my, like I say, underappreciated films lists, anyways. But there we go. Out, out of ten, this is like an eight, solid eight. Uh, massive, great film. Enjoyed it so much. Carl Urban is a absolute gem. I live for his facial expressions, but I also live for his chiselled jaw because my God, is it good in this film? I'll leave it there then. Thank you ever so much, as always, for listening to this. Little revisit episode of Dread. Like I say, we will be getting reviews of new films and such in the future. But I just wanted to get into, uh, yeah, some uh, some Dread action because it's a film that I've been, uh, yeah, wanting to rewatch. I'm glad I did because I fell in love with it all over again. 
Until next time, though, take care. As always, appreciate you guys listening. Do check us out on the socials. Give us a like and a follow, all that jazz. But until the next episode, take care.